The college experience is problematic in America. Students and their families are frequently going into debt to pay exorbitant tuition rates for an experience that's supposed to prepare them for the workplace, yet for many, the system seems to be getting increasingly out of touch with what they want to do. Because as a student, how do you do what you want when it seems like only a few career options are the right choice? That's an especially big conversation from where I'm currently attending college at the University of Virginia in Charlottesville. We're an old and traditional university, and we're often defined by an obsession with being founded by Thomas Jefferson and thus being forged in a model of high-minded academic ideals and traditions which continue to this very day. So some might say there's not much room for being different. But I don't think that it's entirely the case, and I don't think it has to be the case. I'm Max Patton, and as a UVA student, I want to tell a different narrative that I see emerging here. I want to tell the stories of students and graduates here at the University of Virginia who aren't following the path you would expect with their lives and careers. This is Who Shoulders, a podcast that, true to its rhetorical name, is going to start to ask whose shoulders that these innovative students are standing on. Legacy and tradition may be a big part of UVA, but they don't define everyone who goes here. Let's talk about the people who are changing their future. So today, I'm happy to talk to Kennedy Elliott. Uh, she's a graphics editor at National Geographic, who's also worked at the Associated Press, Washington Post, and The Guardian's US edition. Her visuals make powerful data accessible and exciting. She's mapped, diagrammed, and told stories about police shootings, climate change, political donations, and most recently is developing engrossing and interesting web-based stories and content for National Geographic. Let's find out how she got to where she is. My name is Kennedy Elliott. Uh, I am a graphics editor at National Geographic. Um, and I guess I should say I'm class of 2005 at University of Virginia. And you were in the college, right? That's correct. And before this, you worked at, I believe, um, Associated Press and then the Washington Post? Yes, yes. And um, if we're talking about the newsrooms I've worked at, I've also worked at The Guardian US as well. Cool, cool. And just for people who aren't familiar, can you describe the kind of work that you're doing as a graphics editor? The sort of like graphics editor, uh, digital uh, visualization type of role kind of spans a lot right now in, in newsrooms. I, I tend to like, when I'm talking about what I do to other people outside of news, I tend to say election maps during election season, you know, any kind of like ch charting or, or graphing or anything with the data. I do a lot of data analyzing, data cleaning. And so this kind of role of graphics editor is kind of an umbrella term that can that can encompass quite a lot, like you know, data reporting, visualizing, designing, developing, uh, building databases, all kinds of things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and from what I gathered, looking at your website, it looks like you've kind of done like a variety of work for you know those various articles and kind of like making that data that you know normally people can gloss over if they just like read it as a number a lot more like immediately understandable. Yeah, there's. I think there's a big hunger in news right now. It's been growing for the past decade. Um, I feel it's kind of having this uh, little renaissance. People, I guess, newsrooms especially want to um, highlight data reporting. It's kind of its own thing at the moment, and visualizing naturally goes into that. When I went to 
grad school, uh, one of my favorite professors was uh, what they call a computer-assisted reporter, which is like a really old-fashioned term for someone that just is really good at statistics and really understands data sets and can frame things with the proper context. You know, really good at math and also really understands like when to report numbers as per capita instead of, you know, total raw values and things like that. So I guess it's been around for a while, but data reporting and data analyzation and news is kind of having this new, um, like I said, this kind of new renaissance right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it is kind of interesting. Like if someone like looks at your like portfolio website, you have like a GitHub linked and like, it's just like, it's interesting that like, you know, we have people like you working now in like the field of journalism who I guess, you know, you have more of a computer science and technical background as well. It is kind of weird (laughs) because I didn't study that at all. Unfortunately, I would have loved to have known that that would have been something that I would have really enjoyed. But you're right, it is really strange. Um, and I, I think like my generation of journalists tend to be ones that are self-taught in this area. Um, I think newsrooms are hiring more from people with official computer science backgrounds more, but people that came into it when I did tend to kind of be scrappy and like kind of pulled together from their own um, teaching. We just kind of, I guess, taught ourselves this whole time, which is really interesting. Yeah. And that whole industry is just kind of going through a lot of changes and, you know, is really interesting right now. And um, we'll definitely like get into that. But I guess when you were like a kid, what did you think that you were going to end up doing? Oh, man. Um, (laughs) Let me preface this by saying I have a really terrible memory. As a kid, I have to say, even even through my college years, I never was one of those people that knew I was destined to do X, Y, or Z. I didn't have a profession in mind that I was striving to do that was like the end goal. And I had many people around me, like friends and family that did. And I always admired that people had something like that to look forward to. But unfortunately, that never... It was just... I kind of felt like I was going to go to college to find that, to search for that and to stay open to everything. Right. And I have to say, I never really felt like I landed that in college, but leading up to, so to answer your question, leading up to that, I felt like maybe vaguely something in communication. I was really into creative things when I was younger, like art. And I did a lots of art lessons and stuff. And I also really, really enjoyed math and logic, you know, anything with logic. So looking back, and I'm not making this up, those are like the two things that I loved. I love, like when I was little, I had this like book of logic puzzles that I used to do for fun. And I also like to do art. And so what I think of what I do now is kind of this perfect blend between those two things. I write logic, I write code, and it's very formulaic and really, I don't know, just writing lean, efficient code is so satisfying, but also having this kind of creative side where you get to design a story. You get to kind of think about how people want to ingest a story, like how they, you know, how to structure it in a way that will be best for them is so creative. And it's so, you know, artistic in a way. That's kind of like what I was trying to find, I think, when I was younger. And I never knew that this kind of thing existed and I never knew how to tie them together. So, you know, I would take math classes, but I would also like art 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 classes as well. And so I, I guess I just never I was kind of searching for something and I never really found it. And like did you notice that like, you know, when, like in middle school, high school, were you like into computers and programming at all? Or was it more like of a you were a math kid? 
Oh man, I don't know. I guess I guess I would say I was more of a math kid, although I didn't really I just really liked math. I don't really know if I carried it as my identity, but I wish so much that I had found computers because I I I didn't. I I never I, you know, I I think back at my time at college and I really wish that I had gotten into computer science, but that thought never even crossed my mind. And it's kind of a big regret of mine. I really wish that I could have, I could have done more in that area because I think I would have immediately taken to it. So no, I didn't really, I didn't really discover computer. Well, I, I did a little bit of coding in college, and I really liked it, but I just didn't really understand what kind of courses I would need to do to to do more of that. It didn't, it just didn't click. Yeah, and I want to get to like the UVA part of it too. Like when it came to deciding a college, you know, through high school. What was that like for you? And what was the high school experience like in general? My high school experience was pretty good. We, I am from a very rural town in uh, central Virginia, right, right outside of Richmond. And I had a, you know, I had a pretty good time in, in high school. Um, I mean, it was a rural place. So uh, I remember driving into Richmond a lot, you know, for things to do. And, you know, I worked at a coffee shop in Richmond and I kind of always found excuses to, to get out of there. Um, I guess leading into college, I applied to UVA early admission and I got in. And for me, it never, I think back a lot on what drove me to apply to UVA. And I can't really remember. I don't really have a good, a good answer to that. I just remember thinking it was a natural progression. I guess like central Virginia, it's in-state. It probably makes a lot of sense. Yes, it did. It did. And I mean, to me, uh, both my parents went to UVA and it was, I you know, despite what it sounds like, I wasn't in like a big UVA family. It didn't really feel like that necessarily. It just was a it was a really good school and it was in state. And I remember for a brief amount of time, I really wanted to go to Berkeley, but my dad was like, uh, you're not going to go to California unless you have a really good reason to go. And I couldn't really find a good reason to go. So, um, so in state it was, and, um, and yeah, I didn't really, it felt, it felt right. It felt like a good place for me to go. I didn't really consider anywhere, anywhere else. And I, I didn't have to, fortunately, because I, you know, I got an early admission. So, it, you know, my, my decision was made for me in a, in a way. Yeah. And were you thinking like, I mean, totally fine if you weren't, cause I wasn't, I mean, most people probably aren't, but were you thinking at all of any like major at this point in UVA, like just, you know, coming into it? I don't think I knew, but I remember I poured over the, oh God, this is going to make me sound so old, but these books of, I'm sure they're all online now, but they had these printed books of classes and I would just go through them page by page and just like circle the stuff that I was interested in. I'm like, well, maybe I could have a career in this. Maybe I could have a career in that. I considered everything. Um, my dad is a doctor and I was like, should I be pre-med? And which you know, if you know me now, that's probably not a good fit. I just really wanted to imagine life and all of these different, I wanted to find my place at UVA. And I just, I, nothing really felt like the one until I got to college and I found that what I ended up majoring in, which is media studies, which is a very young program at the time, but that, that ended up feeling right. But I didn't know that going into UVA, what I wanted to major in. And I'm guessing you'd be applying to that like the end of second year? Yes. Yes. That sounds about right. Okay. So what were the first two years like before that? Oh, gosh. Um, well, I went in as like a ball of energy. I was really excited to go to college. And then I just kind of, 
I got to be honest, I don't really feel like I ever hit my stride at UVA. I think that it was very, um, it was a little unexpected in terms of like the culture and just sort of the environment. I just was pretty surprised to learn that I, I didn't feel like I really fit in very much. Um, I had a great academic experience there, but I didn't, I don't feel like it really clicked as a college uh, went for me. I don't think we went over this. Did you go to like a public high school? I did. Yes. And it, again, very rural, like not mm-hmm. wealthy, uh, high and school. And not that many people too, probably. There, it was, um, we actually did have a pretty big high school just because it was, um, I oh, guess. Oh, it fed a lot of county or a yes. lot of areas. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, not, not a super wealthy area. I did not grow up with a lot of money. Um, very outside of sort of like the traditional UVA, background. Um, yeah. Like the whole preppy, yeah, <laughs> like somewhat yeah. accurate stereotype. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I didn't really feel like, uh, you know, I, I was just kind of happy go lucky. And I think a little naive, um, going to UVA, uh, didn't really have a lot of experience with that kind of culture. Never really occurred to me that I would maybe not fit in so well. And so I think when it, when I got there and it just kind of hit me, um, like, wow, this is very different. Uh, don't really, don't really identify with a lot of the people here. I probably ended up being much more reclusive than I should have been. Like I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I wish that maybe I'd been a little bit more open to things and it was just, it was just a very different environment than I thought that we're just happen. finding that like the people were like really hard to relate to. Yeah. Yeah. Ex- yeah, definitely. You know, I think part of that was probably me too. Like, I think I was going through some major like self discovery <laughs> of my I own. Mean, we all are. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, looking back, I kind of feel like I just wish that I could have had a little bit more, a little, a little bit more time to process that and maybe you know, have another shot at it because I think that there's so much that UVA had to offer. And I don't know if I took advantage of everything that I should have, but, but so the first two years, yeah, they, they, um, you know, I went in with a lot of, a lot of enthusiasm and kind of quickly felt like I was a little out of place. And so I, I, you know, I was definitely searching for like a, a place to call my home. And I think, I think probably that the media size program was one of the places that, gave me as close to that as, as I, as I got there, just having kind of like a group of like really interesting people with like a lot of, of a huge variety of skills and interests there in the same classroom. Yeah. And just like 20 of them. So you like, you know them really well. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. So it was, it was really fun. I have good memories of that. And how did you find out about that? No, I'm not really sure. I probably has to do or had to do, um, Maybe with the fact that it was such a young program, they were probably doing some outreach, I would assume. Maybe I, maybe I took a class that was media studies adjacent and heard about the major. I honestly can't really remember. Something I'm wondering too about like UVA culture as a whole is like, I feel like now, you know, it's still very much UVA culture, like that's part of it, but there's also a little bit of self-awareness to it just because of a lot of, you know, recent events and things where like there is some awareness of like, you know, we are kind of... In some sense, it's a party school or a frat school or, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of like privileged people um, at UVA and there's an awareness of that was, did you feel like the, there was any of that at the time or was it just kind of like, did that go unspoken? I think that is such a great point. I 
totally can imagine that UVA is, is much different now because of exactly what you're talking about is just the awareness. And, you know, just over the past few years of all of, uh, we're kind of having, a a big culturally or a cultural awareness moment right now on a lot of different facets of life. Um, I can imagine that there is so much more to mention to UVA now than it felt like was available at the time when I was there. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm putting it bluntly, I just feel like there's this cross section of, you know, like the frat culture that's always been there and then yeah. like woke college culture. And those are like combining and mixing and very weird and like unpredictable ways. Wait, what did you call it? What is the second thing that you said? Like woke college culture. <laughs> woke I don't know. college. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I, 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 um, I absolutely believe that that is true. And I feel like, especially at UVA, where you have such smart, you know, mature kids, that has to be happening. And it's almost got to be sort of like at an energy that rivals the, you know, kind of traditional frat boy culture, which just was not my thing at all. Um, And so I think that would be really, I would be so interested to see what it's like at UVA um, as a student these days, not, you know, as a alumni visiting. Um, but there's got to be so much, so much more to, to UVA now. But yeah, at the, at the time, you're absolutely right. I didn't really feel like there was that awareness and that kind of ability to self-criticize. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a little tough. And, and you know, it could have existed more than I, but more than I felt. I might have just kind of wil- wilted away and not just kind of been a little bit more pessimistic that it that it existed. So I might have I might have missed that if it did exist at UVA, but I, I don't think it did. Certainly not at the level that I'm sure it does today. Yeah, and I think a lot of it's also contained to like clubs and specific like organizations that you know themselves can kind of be a niche, and you kind of really have to you know work to find. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. So like going to media studies and then like applying to that, you got in, did you just take an immediate interest in like the academic material of that? Yeah, I think, I think it was kind of up my alley. Like I said, I think I would have been very happy had I married that with maybe like a mathematics course or some kind of programming course. But like I said, that just never really crossed my mind. I think that being at UVA kind of pushed me a little bit farther into maybe like artistic avenues and I would otherwise that I would probably have otherwise been. I did a lot of extracurricular stuff with what we called at the time, the fashion club, the fashion club just sounds like such like an eighties type of thing, (laughs) but that's what we called it at the time. And I did a lot of like garment construction and design, which was fun and so interesting. I think that because UVA is just not at all in art school. I mean, which is totally fine. I kind of felt like pushed a little bit more to that area. To the extreme. Yeah. Yeah. Just because I was kind of like looking for some kind of creative outlet. And so media studies was a little bit, like I said, more interdisciplinary, a little bit more into theory. Um, And so that kind of what I guess I'm saying is I wish that I had paired that with something a little bit more um, logical, like logic based, which I think I was greatly missing for my college experience. And that's totally on me. I should have, I should have uh, explored more. I wish that I had, you know, maybe some people in my life that had modeled that kind of program, um, but I didn't. So it never really occurred to me, but yeah, I did, I did some artistic outlets. I think ultimately I just really like tinkering with stuff, which 
you know, was what like garment construction is in like a kind mm-hmm. of a creative way. But I think if I had found computers, I would have really, really liked to tinker with code and stuff. Um, that would have been perfect. So yeah, I was just trying to find like some outlets that would be good that I could feel a little bit more like myself. Yeah. And like our first guest, Susanna, was also talking about like the arts culture at UVA and like the feeling when she went of just, you know, that's still not being a big thing. You know, it was this niche, it was this extreme where a lot of the the people in garments club or in a fashion club, were they like architecture students or specifically artsy people? Or were they also like you, like people kind of trying to break into an art scene? at, you know, UVA? Oh, I think both. It's so funny that you mentioned the architecture because there were so many architecture students that really just mastered this, the, you know, some, you know, the more artistic clubs, especially the fashion club. There were a few uh, notable architect background folks there and they really, really killed it. It's especially this one woman who I went to school with, she did go to the A school and then she is like a big shot fashion designer now. It's crazy. But yeah, yeah, it's really, it's really awesome. So it's funny that you say that, but yeah, I think there was like a big mix of people. And because it was kind of a new club at the time too, that we were just looking for, or I guess my predecessors, the the folks who started the club, um, were really looking for people who had any interest at all in fashion. Like you could, uh, I hate using my word fashion. It just seems so dated to me, but you know, people that could do PR, people that could put together a show. We had like a show every semester, um, people who could sew and design and people who could model. And it was a really um, diverse and inclusive set of people. And it was really, it was really great. It wasn't, it definitely was one of the most diverse groups of people that I had the experience of working with at UVA, which is really great. And was that kind of part of your more tangible, you know, focus in media studies doing garment design? No, I didn't. I didn't tie it at all to my major. That was just kind of like a fun thing. Just a club kind of thing. Yeah. 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 What was the kind of like more, I guess, practical application that you ended up doing with um, media studies? Uh, I guess I was really interested in like websites and stuff like web design. And what was that like at that time? Because nowadays it's like you take it for granted that, you know, you you can just fire up Squarespace or something and have a, you know, great website easy. But at that time, I mean, I don't know, GeoCities. uh, (laughs) Oh, man. It's probably a very different like seen surrounding websites and all of that. Oh, you said it. It is so cringe worthy that I'm even talking about this right now because I remember I was like writing HTML and doing inline styles. And if you do any front end at all, you just are kind of doing a face palm right now. But that's that's what it was. It was uh, really rudimentary websites. And uh, I oh gosh, I did this project in Flash, I think. Definitely fired up Dreamweaver uh, every once in a while to code, which is just this really, really old Adobe. I mean, I think it's still around, but I don't think anyone really uses it to, to code and to, you know, organize your files and stuff. And it was really different back then. But you were kind of getting like a CS light experience oh, through media studies that yeah. way. Emphasis on the light. Yes, yes, definitely. Um, we had like this final project that we did and I just remember getting so into it. I would spend so much time at the, at the oh God, this is so dorky, but the computer lab, because our computers were so like old that they couldn't support all of these like apps and stuff. But um, times have changed a lot. Well, yeah, but like, I feel like we're always pushing the frontier. Like, for example, you know, like, you know, my laptop, I can probably like, you know, make a website if I wanted to. But like, (laughs) if I want to make a video and render it, I'm still going to go over to like the media lab they have now (laughs) where they have like, you know, iMac Pros and render it there because I don't want to kill my laptop. (laughs) So like every time you're pushing the frontier of something, it's probably really useful to have like, you know, resources that, you know, a poor student's not going to be able to have on their own to 
do that. Well, you are very kind and you're absolutely right, I guess. Um, and that made me feel a little bit better. But yeah, there's um, all of our cutting edge software were on the, the computers at the computer lab. And at the time, that was a lot of really silly apps that we still have today, I guess. But, but yes, I do remember really getting into that. And then I carried that after college. Like I would study that kind of on its own. Yeah, that kind of made a lasting influence on me, but it's so surprising that it never really hit me to like, hey, this is uh, what computer science is. Uh, you should take yeah. classes. But like you didn't know it, but you were already kind of doing it. Yeah, yeah. And I should have I should have had that to like tinker with too. That would have been really fun. Like how did the department like treat that? Were they like, oh, the internet, this is some neat, interesting thing we should look into? Like how was media studies treating the web and all of that at the time? Oh, I don't know if we really covered that too much, surprisingly. I know it was like definitely an emerging phenomenon. Oh, let's see. I'm just kind of remembering any flashbacks here. We, I don't know. I don't. Were, were you reading still very much, you know, the world of like broadcast news or no. traditional media? Oh, Max, no. And they were like, so sir, <laughs> they were like McLuhan. They were like these old white men from decades prior. Like it was not, they were not talking about the, the internet, obviously. It's funny because like you said those names and I, I just took <laughs> the intro to media studies course and we're still reading a lot of that. I know, like, I know. Yeah. And like, that's great. They like, that's what I'm saying is like, I would hope that they'd throw in like a non-white man <laughs> here yeah, or there somewhere. these days. But at the time, we just didn't really have that kind of awareness. And so, no, we they were we were kind of trying to apply their predictions to modern day and kind of talk about these new phenomenons and like what... And some of them were pro- probably kind of prescient. I mean, some of sure. them like post, postmen saying the TV would be like the last medium ever made probably, you know, didn't age too well, but <laughs> other kind of more general stuff is probably still useful to think about today. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, I loved it though. I, I really loved the academic side, which was um, another reason why it was really surprising that I went into journalism because it was uh, like a different writing style. It was a different way to think um, that I just did not feel comfortable. I didn't have a lot of experience with and now. I greatly appreciate the way that journalists kind of think, you know, and write. I find academic types of things like that a little, like a little slow, a little clunky. And so it's, it's just funny how, how different I felt back then. But I, I really did enjoy learning about like, you know, symbols and language and, you know, uh, you know, just all of this kind of like theoretical stuff. But looking back, it's just, you're right. It's like a lot of it just doesn't age well. And like, why are all these like dudes just trying to, trying to like have a say on like what the state of the media is and like where it will be? Like, why is that important? I don't know. I feel like media in general can be so navel gazing that you kind of sometimes have to, you know, it's good to look in the bubble, but you can really easily get trapped in that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like also good to just kind of get away from that a little bit. But I did, I did really appreciate that that was where my foundation in media started. Um, it, it at least taught me to be critical of, of things. I, I did, I did really appreciate that. Right. Like they talk about critical thinking all the time mm-hmm. and they feel like maybe not just media studies now, but so many departments are probably trying to drill into people. Like don't just read whatever the Facebook news feed says. Don't just, you know, take those Instagram memes seriously. <laughs> like think about what you're consuming, you know, for better or for worse. Yeah. And now that you put it that way, it seems like that's what everyone should have. Um, everyone should have a course in that in their lifetime, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and how was, how was it like going and, you know, graduating? Uh, did you end up with a media studies degree? Yes. Yes, I did. And I think I also happened to major in Italian, which is so, so kind of bizarre, but um, I really was 
super into language in college. I guess now that I'm kind of talking about it out loud, I kind of see like, I think language was maybe a stand in for, for some other kind of, uh, interest. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, the, and, and I'm still so interested in linguistics and language as well. It's not like that has died, but I'm also, I, I really realize like when I'm learning coding language too, it's kind of like the same, the same high that I get from learning, you know, learning linguistics or like reading an article in French or something like that, which, you know, I don't do that often, but I just really like languages, whether they be spoken languages, computer languages, it's kind of all stems from the same place in, in my brain, I think. So yeah, now that I'm kind of thinking about it, maybe, uh, maybe that I was still kind of searching for something and mm-hmm. I just kind of ended up taking a lot of classes and I was like, okay, well, might as well just make this a major now. So did you end up immediately going into grad school or did you uh, start working after college? Oh no, I, um, I worked for, I think three or four years at oddly enough, a medical association. Um, and I was, a, I was a project manager and editor for, uh, scientific, scientific documents and papers that they would, they would produce. And so the editing aspect definitely tied into journalism a little bit. And I also, I guess I've failed to mention this entire time that one of like my favorite kind of subjects of the news that I just naturally gravitate toward is health policy and healthcare and science. And so I also have this kind of, not that I want to be a practitioner of any of those things or, you know, an expert in any of those things, but I just naturally, you know, like when you pick up your news app, like what stories do you find yourself clicking on more than others? Like for me, it's those. Um, And so I very much liked being in that kind of environment. Um, And so I actually, I worked there for three or four years. And then for some reason, just felt like I needed to go to grad school. I, I, I wasn't going to work in that, that field, like for my entire life, mm-hmm. that wasn't it for me. And I am trying to I've done this many, many times since grad school. I try to like reflect back and think of what drove me to go to journalism school, which I had never really ever wanted to be a journalist or thought about it very much. And I honestly cannot tell you why it just like something, something propelled me and I applied to a bunch of colleges and got, I got into a few. And these were all specifically like journalism programs. Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, and then, yeah, I ended up going to this program at Northwestern and that completely turned my life around, um, in terms of career, because when I graduated, I got a job specifically doing what I wanted to do. And I never, and I never would have gotten that job going from working at that medical association. I never would have mm-hmm. made that, made that change. The program was not great at preparing me to do what I wanted to do, which I knew I wanted to work in the digital space. I think journals and programs across the States are rapidly improving in this area. And they're doing like joint degrees with computer science, like computational uh, departments. But uh, at the time, it wasn't really super well equipped to prepare students to work in digital areas. But I really hustled and studied my butt off and was like coding on all my downtime and stuff. And I really, really wanted to do, I I knew I wanted to work in the web space. So you'd still kind of caught that like bug of working in the web or the internet. Yeah. I guess that really just shows me that maybe I I, I picked the wrong major in college, but yes, yes. I eventually figured it out. 
And yeah, I guess I just was kind of like propelled to do that for some reason. And the journalism program was fantastic because I sucked as a journalism I, or as, as, a, as a journalist. I was really terrible. And it took so much effort to be able to write and think like a journalist. Again, like I was still kind of like stuck in this academic mind frame um, at the time. And right. it was really hard. But the, the program for journalism was fantastic. And it was kind of like a boot camp, And it was really demanding. And it went really fast. And I learned so much um, in terms of how to think um, like a journalist. And it was still like a struggle out, you know, coming out of the program, I still wasn't like 100% prepared. But I kept on applying a lot of the things I had learned in the program in the years since. And uh, yeah, it really went me into shape. Yeah, and that's interesting because like you hear so many polarizing things about graduate school in general, but especially like, you know, things like journalism graduate school. It's, you know, I'll read an op-ed of like why I hate journalism graduate school <laughs> and like no journalist should ever go there or why it's like essential, right? Like people are so divided about that. I just find that really interesting. You are so right. And and that is that is absolutely a fair point. That is a really good uh, indicator of why there's such a class problem in journalism. One of the many reasons how that comes out. But yeah, I think I think grad school for journalism can really be hit or miss. For me, I think I was very lucky that I could attend a program like Northwestern, and it really did. You know, I hustled hard, and I got a lot of luck. Like I think a lot of people that end up being, I don't want to say successful because I don't really, I don't know if I would consider myself successful, but I work in journalism and that's great. And I think that a lot of my peers that graduated did not, maybe they didn't want to, maybe they found another thing that worked for them. That's fine, whatever, but it's not easy. And so I think if you work in your field and you're relatively happy, that's a success. And for, for journalism doesn't, does it pay that well? And the benefits are not that great. I mean, depending on where you work, just like broadly speaking across the nation, it's not a super rewarding field financially. Um, and so to, to have to spend money on grad school to go into this field, I mean, the hours are long. Um, the pay is not great and it is very demanding on your time. There's not really like a set of hours that you reliably work day in and day out. So it's, it's really asking a lot to tell people to go to grad school. Um, but for me, it was necessary to break into the field and I'm lucky that I got to do it. And I'm also really lucky that I got I just kind of was getting into data visualization, becoming interested in it myself and data reporting in this moment of news where that was also becoming a thing. So yeah, it was just, it, it was a lot of luck. Right. But the Northwestern program was more of like a traditional journalism boot camp, and you were doing the computer science kind of education on the side. Yes. Yes. Um, I mean, they did, they did offer classes on some like some digital esque classes, but to be honest, it was not up to the, the standards of the web at the time. And I think they've made some very big improvements since then. I think the, the year that I attended, it, it was a very big tra transitional period. It was right when the, the big crash happened and journalism in general was just cratering. Um, lots of people were losing their jobs. There's lots of, it was also when the web was really taking its toll on print 
revenues. Um, And so there's just so much flux in journalism. And it was really kind of, I mean, what a year to decide to go to grad school. Like, I I mean, seriously, I don't know what I was thinking, but like I said, I just, I just got really lucky and it worked. It worked for me and it did work for everyone. And today, I don't know if I would even get into grad school. I don't know if I would even want to go to grad school if I were in the same place, you know, just at the time it worked. And was it like a valuable networking thing, like to go to your first internship from that? Um, I didn't do an internship after grad school. I just went into, I did a fellowship right at the end. During my fellowship, I got a job offer. And so I went right into working after that full time in New York. So I moved from Chicago to New York at the time. Okay. And how did that lead into, was it the um, Washington Post you worked at first or uh, was it somewhere else? No, it was actually... um, out of news. It's it's a really weird story. I worked for the Nielsen company for about a year after grad school. The ratings company? Yes. <laughs> because I was really, um, coming out of the fellowship, I was really into data visualization. And I, I realized somewhere over the course of my studies that I really, really liked data. I really liked web. I didn't kind of know how they all fit in together, but to I wanted to explore this visualization aspect of news. Through networking, I met up with this, you know, I got connected with this woman who had some connection to that Nielsen and Nielsen was really looking to beef up their data visualization. It's like a new initiative um, to help visualize all of their data. And to me, that seemed like a dream job at the time because I get to work with all of this data. I get to work with this very large company. I get to try to tell stories around their work and, um, and just kind of immerse myself in all of this data, which seemed so cool. But I think ultimately I did, I realized that I really wanted to work in the newsroom. And so I left for the Associated Press after that. And what was that like? Because I mean, Associated AP, you know, you think when you think like capital J journalism, that's kind of what you think of. And you mentioned, you know, data visualization being a hot topic at the time. Was there, you know, the, the like BuzzFeed equivalent or things like that at the time, or were you were you kind of like set on occupying, you know, a role in the traditional journalism space? Oh, that's such an interesting interesting question. I guess BuzzFeed was a thing at the time. Oh man, that's such a but bad. Probably one. not like anywhere near what it like. It probably was more quizzes and less like journalism than it is like now. Yes, probably. I am positive that it was definitely more. I don't even know if their news their news uh, <laughs> wing had started up at the time. But yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a good question because I don't even think I, it occurred to me work, to work for like a non-traditional news outlet. Um, but there are lots of smaller news outlets in, in New York. I mean, New York is like the hub of journalism right now. So there's plenty of opportunity or like, I guess maybe not opportunity, but plenty of organizations there to work for. I think the AP just was one of the first jobs that I applied for and it worked out miraculously. They wanted to hire me. Um, and so I guess it wasn't really a conscious decision to work for like a big, big traditional uh, organization like the AP, but it, it was just kind of like an inevitability. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. And it worked out fortunately. And it wasn't totally like crisis mode at the time then for like, you know, mainstream, you know, big journalism companies. I mean, I think local newsrooms were hit the hardest and they still are. And you'll see like 
bigger organizations really beefing up their graphics departments, like the New York Times and the Washington Post have extremely large graphics departments now, whereas smaller newsrooms are lucky to have anyone that focus on graphics or data reporting or charting or data analysis or anything like that. So it, there's kind of like a, I, I see it as kind of like an increasing gap like between different newsrooms. Right. Or like being able to do it in-house is probably like a really big thing for them. Yes. Yeah. So at the time, the AP, um, and they, they still have a, they still have a, you know, a, a good sized graphics department, I, I believe. But yeah, they, they were actually hiring and fortunately hired me um, because that's how I got my foot in the door, back in the door in journalism. And since then I've, I've been all, you know, all in and working on the newsroom. I, I really, really enjoy it a lot. Yeah, and especially right now, it's such a such an interesting. I mean, some would say terrible, but at the same time, interesting and like really fascinating time to be in journalism. Oh my gosh, I know, I know. Um, I fortunately or unfortunately, um, I left a daily newsroom with, at the Washington Post right before the um, 2016 elections, which just through mm -hmm. everything. Since then, it's just been... Yeah. And the Washington Post did not do well for a bit. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's, in a way, it must have been such an exhilarating time as a journalist, even though it's just, it's been, I mean, journalists have been characterized as being like treasonous or anti-American, you know, in this administration, which is so bizarre, but yeah. it's got to be kind of exhilarating to be a part of that too. Um, oh, yeah. And doing daily Especially reporting. Especially if you can be part of the successful like wing of journalism, like the New York Times has done like really well in the last few years because they've managed to, you know, they've managed to get their online subscription, their podcast, all of those formats uh, to make them really successful. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's such an interesting time. And I mean, it's definitely maybe, I, I guess maybe you could say that people see those big institutions as, as um, being, you know, more polarized or more polarizing. But, um, but as a journalist, it's got to be so bewildering and crazy, but also just really fun to work in that space right now. Especially like in the kind of work you're doing. Cause again, that's, I mean, even now that's still very, that's a trendy topic to be in. Yeah. 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 I mean, at the, at the national geographic where or at national geographic, we're kind of shielded from that daily politics, um, reporting, uh, for better, mm -hmm. or for worse. Uh, you just get to report on really cool stuff. Yeah. 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 Um, but, um, so I definitely um, watch on the sidelines very, very enthusiastically uh, to see, you know, old colleagues and, you know, former institutions doing all this great reporting on, um, on politics now. And how did that happen? Like, I, I, I see, you know, Associated Press, Washington Post, the Guardian, U.S. edition, but how did you, what, what made you decide to make the switch to Nat Geo? I think there's a lot of, a lot of reasons that made me gravitate towards Nat Geo at the time. I was um, just about to become a mom for the first time. I didn't feel like my work-life balance at the post was sustainable after <laughs> that, like after becoming a mom. And I know I say that with a, a little bit of anxiety because I know that is not a great reason to take a step back. But I was working very hard and it was really tough to kind of envision how things would continue like that after having a kid. And so that, that was definitely a part of it. And I was also really, I mean, I was really interested in doing, getting back to 
science reporting. Like I said, I've, I've kind of been always fascinated with science news and, and health. And so being able to be dedicated to that topic full-time was such an interesting draw for me. So the, the, the post has changed quite a bit since I, since I left. And I think it's, it's very different now, but at the time it was, it was very frenetic and I found myself working on like a lot of projects and publishing a lot of projects and -hmm. not really feeling like I had a lot of space to sit back and reflect. And, um, and the Nat Geo environment is a lot different. They are very paced and deliberate. It's, I imagine much more feature oriented too. Right? It is. Gosh. Yeah, that's, that's true. So it's a, it's a much different pace. And so for all of those reasons, and I'm sure, you know, a few other more minor ones, that is what, that that's what brought me to Nat Geo. And I, I, but I, I can't say enough good things about the post as well. I mean, that's really where I feel like I cut my teeth as a graphics editor. I learned more in that job than I have any in any of my other previous jobs. And I had a fantastic editor who really just completely shaped me. Right. And I mean, the kinds of data you're working with, like political donations, um, gun control, like health and science topics, those are probably really interesting too. And like really, you know, of national interest to kind of work on and present. Oh, they were. They, you're so right. Um, they definitely were. And I and I totally miss those topics too. I mean, that was really fun to report on national news and politics. I definitely miss that. And I had a lot of fun doing it. And also, you know, funny thing, I got to work on a project that won a Pulitzer Prize, which was that's pretty cool to, to oh, wow. be a part Which of that. Oh, wow. Which one was that? While I was there, the, there's a big um, initiative that was uh, thought of by this guy named Wesley Lowry, who is an amazing journalist, to track gun deaths by policemen in the United States. So every time someone mm-hmm. died, someone someone it was fatal shootings. Fatal shootings by police. Um, right. We don't have a national database for that, and so the post sought out to create a national database based on all of like, you know, just like news reports and stuff. And so it was a tremendous effort. And they started, I think, in 2015, and they won a Pulitzer, and then they continued that for a couple more years. And now I, I think that there, w- because of that effort, there will be a national database of fatal shootings by police, which is pretty. That's I mean, that's wow. why you're in journalism to affect change like yeah, that. Yeah, that's so, a really cool project. Yeah, yeah. So I was. Very, very, that was such a cool experience. So, and it's not the kind of thing where it's like a one time, like, oh, there's been a shooting or there's been something, right? We're going to talk about this for a week. It's like the kind of thing that can be a long term, you know, a database, like that kind of tracks and keeps a record of everything. Yes, exactly. And then we're able to see, like, do, um, do people of color, are people of color shop? more frequently, um, especially if they're unarmed, there's a lot of different stats that they tracked. Like if the person was armed, uh, if there was any other like weapons or cars involved, anyway, I don't need to go on and on about that, but that was, that was a really cool thing too. They want facts and logic, give them facts and logic. Yeah. 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 And going, you know, into Nat Geo again, like, uh, we've gone, gone over the kind of (laughs) topics are very different, but at the same time, very cool. Like scientifically, like I saw on your website, the latest thing that you had is the uh, hummingbird uh, demonstration. Like that's all really cool stuff. What is it like though, working on that, like very different material? Like, are you doing a lot of web design, graphic design? Are you working with photographers? How is that going? 
Yeah, um, all of that stuff. Well, the graphics department at Nat Geo is fortunately pretty big too, relative to other outlets. Um, but most of the uh, graphics editors at National Geographic tend to focus on the print magazine because we're one of the few organizations that have a print product that actually... And it's a really beautiful print yes, product. Like yes. you pick up, like you have the iconic National Geographic covers, but also the stories. Like, I mean, magazines in general are obviously more design focused, but especially National Geographic. I mean, the whole a big point of the magazine is to kind of inspire beauty in a lot of ways. Oh yes, you're so right. Um, it is. It's whenever whenever I uh, work with sources or you know the occasional freelancer, and I'm working for a digital story, they're always like, "But will this be in print?" I think everyone really wants to be in a print. Uh, National Geographic That's magazine. That's every yeah. new thing. I feel like it's, so. it's very like it's very iconic in its own right. So um, yeah, it's very uh, our magazine is definitely very precious to us. But I work primarily in the digital space. What differentiates me from my other colleagues is that I am a developer. Um, I have uh, you know digital development skills, and uh, you know a lot of people on our team do, but uh, not quite. A, you know, there's really me and one other person that has this. Uh, kind of more expert skill set, and right. so I am. I am mostly working on data stories, stories with like a lot of data, and I kind of am filling that role of that kind of old school reporter type. What I was telling you earlier in the podcast about that computer assisted reporter, someone who is like very familiar with math and statistics and like how to represent numbers and how to trends and uh, uh, just. I guess any kind of charting the right way. Um, mm -hmm. And so I, I do, um, I develop like anything from like that humming, hummingbirds piece where there's like lots of video and scientific graphics. And you're like overlaying graphics yeah. onto like slow motion video in a web page. It's, it, it's a very cool effect. Yeah. But what's cool is that I pitched that project. That was a project that I, then that's the cool thing about my job is that I get to I get to pitch things. I mean, I also get assigned things too, which I really love because people mm -hmm. in the newsroom are much more you know much much more in tune with different beats than I am, and they can pitch like these really robust, rich stories that I would never think of on my own. But I also get to pitch things, and I get to fight for them, and I get to I get to research data, I get to report things, I get to talk to scientists, and I get I get to design a story, like literally the design. And I also get to develop it because I freaking love to code. You know, I, I, I like to make things really efficient and work really quickly on mobile and on desktop and uh, think about all these things. So it's, it's a pretty cool job to have. Yeah. And you're, you you do not have to like write about depressing stuff most of the time. Like it's really kind of cool, like awe-inspiring stuff. Yes. Like but I also get to write about depressing stuff because a lot of what I'm doing, at least Right now, oh, like climate change, climate change, yeah. Yeah. So it's actually really depressing, yeah. Um, but yes, <laughs> but important nonetheless. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, and um, you know, climate change is I feel like something that we haven't quite figured out how to report on in ways that get people, you know, get people's heart kind of you know beating fast. Yeah, like something beyond like a polar bear that you can just yeah, like share yeah. and like get someone, you know, like your climate denying relative, whoever to be like, oh, wow. Yeah, right. And, um, and so that's also just such an interesting, an interesting space to be in and like being able to like report on and stuff. And that's all that's why I love working at Agio, because I just genuinely love thinking about these concepts all day. Mm -hmm. And this might be go going kind of like into the weeds. But like you said, you know, you really like making stuff like mobile desktop, all that like, does Nat Geo, like, is the work you do really focused on, like, you know, do, being a web browser thing? Because I remember, like, several years ago, like, I 
read like a digital version on an iPad mm-hmm. back when Apple was trying one of its like thousands of magazine formats. Mm. And, you know, National Geographic was really buying into that, but it probably, you know, I don't think it did very well for them mm-hmm. or anyone else because like no one ended up, you know, doing that. Digital magazines have been so hit or miss uh-huh. in all of these various like proprietary formats. Whereas you compare something like it's just a website, like this hummingbird thing, that's just a link you can open and any sort of like modern web browser, you can like access and see that. Is that something that you're kind of like thinking about? Yeah. So this is, uh, there's so many ways to answer this question. Um, we do have an app um, that I, I should know more about this app, but I don't because I don't really work in that space. But we do have an app that I'm sure many people use and that prevent, presents a very different experience than just web browsing would. And so I can't speak to that app very much. And I don't know how much of our readership comes from an app like that, but I do not think about that as part of my job. Um, we have mm-hmm. dedicated people that do that and that take our graphics and format it into that space. But you're right. So uh, I work in a, you know, what, what my work, what I'm concerned with with my work is make it work in a browser, whether it be on a mobile or a tablet or a desktop or, you know, any screen size or device, I've got to make a great on all of those things. I, I don't, I don't know if I really, we really, we really want to get in the weeds here with uh, technical stuff, but there's also this kind of distribution problem where our stuff gets sent out like for promotion and our custom code that people like me use to write these really bespoke graphics. Um, uh-huh. Right now, um, social places like Facebook. Uh, don't know don't, how to handle right, it. Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So we're having this really big problem. And this is not at Nat Geo, it's, it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, having, or, and you have to like buy into, if you, if you do want to do something interactive or something, you have to do it their way and then you can't like, then you're kind of beholden to Facebook or whoever. Yes, and, and they really require just static flattened images, which is um, you know definitely possible, but it limits what you can do in terms of visual storytelling. Yeah. Well, in my mind, it's one of the biggest disappointments of like the digital age. Like, you know, we we have the technology to make amazing, amazing like interactive experiences that don't even need to be like a native app or something you run. Like it can just be a website, but we're still stuck in this mindset of like, okay, put up a picture, 800 words. Okay, get another picture there. And then it, it actually regressing from that with like ads and tracking and a bunch of other things that actually make websites like harder to use. And I mean, like, I don't know, this is just my opinion, but I think it's one of the reasons that like online journalism, you know, has been such a mixed bag because there's been this like kind of compromised user experience. You know, not only are people worried about their data being stolen, but they're worried about like the website being weird and not being comfortable with reading stuff in that in format when, you know, the potential of that format is obviously still so unrealized. Yes, you're you're absolutely right. Um, it is such a mixed bag. And the reason why Facebook uh, and other, uh, you know, other distribution partners, I guess is the correct way to say it, you know, do things this way is because when you click on certain links on Facebook, they load very fast. And that's because there are just these really simplistic assets involved with loading that page and something yeah. like custom code that are, you know, like things that I write don't, really gel with that. Um, I mean, they could load really fast, but Facebook just says, I'm not even going to bother trying. You just give me these mm. types of assets and I'm going to load them very fast. And the reader's it's like gonna a scary a- abdication of responsibility too. If you're like a publication, it's like, okay, follow Facebook's rules for how to make this load fast. Don't do it yourself. Yes. And, but, but, you know, the crazy thing is that so much of an organization's readership comes from 
the clicking on links just like that. So it's yeah. impossible to disregard putting things in that format. Um, yeah. So it's just such a it's such a weird, interesting space that we're just trying to. And you're right. I think we I think we can come up with solutions to these issues. It's just that we haven't yet, and we're I guess in this moment. And who knows how long it's going to last of like where we don't have a good solution for that right now, but we're probably going to have one eventually. Yeah. And like at the end of the the day, it might be better for people if they can expect more websites to behave in like a consistent way and like the internet to be a good experience. Because, you know, like phones today are so powerful, tablets, you know, laptops, all of that. They really, there's no excuse for why they should be so slow, but for various reasons, there's like all these layers of abstraction and platforms and things that kind of like have their own stuff going on. So it's really nice to see like technologies and also just people like you kind of working in fields to do away with that as much as possible and to give people this like really cool, you know, actual multimedia experience. Yeah. Yeah. It is pretty cool. I, I like my job. <laughs> it's it's really neat. <laughs> and it's always evolving. Yeah. You know, you're always learning something new and you you have to like, cause things just get out of date so quickly. And it's, that's actually one of the most challenging parts of my job is just trying to keep up with everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's always like a moving target. And I mean, especially yeah. when you're dealing with like the web and stuff, but it's kind of cool that like, you know, from UVA and media studies going and like the Dreamweaver days to now, uh, you're still doing oh. it. It's really cool. So cringeworthy to, to think about that. But yeah, you're right. You like got, got in the chance to see it all evolve. And that's probably really exciting. Yeah, it is. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, it's been a really cool story. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really, um, I've had a lot of fun. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you again to Kennedy for doing this interview. She was a blast to talk to and she had a great story. If you're curious about the work she does in her journalism, we'll link her website below. This has been our third episode, and I'd like to thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, it'd be a huge deal if you could rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on whichever platform you downloaded the show on. You can also subscribe in your podcast app of choice to keep getting future episodes and stories of innovative UVA students, whose shoulders will return next month with another guest. Once more, you're awesome for listening. We'll catch you again with our next episode, and sweet July. Stay safe in the sun. Peace.